Hello, this is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark by Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 120, Finding Deserts in the Oasis. Today I'm going to be reflecting on a meditation from almost four years ago by Father Richard Rohr, and he talks about the Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers. I'm going to be pulling a little bit from that and adding my own reflection I'm talking about solitude and contemplative spirituality and desire and moving toward things that don't pass away, eternal things, instead of the things that busy and trouble our mind. Father War says, The desert fathers and mothers withdrew from the cities to the deserts to live freely and apart from the economic, cultural, and political structure of the Roman Empire. They first persecuted the church, but then later used Christianity, adopted it, and used it for control and uniformity. Because of this new privileged status, the most devout and spiritual people in Christianity knew that empire would be an unreliable partner. I'm paraphrasing from Father Rohr's essay, which I will be linking to in the show notes and at the entry at sparkmymuse.com for this episode. The cities had become, in many ways, an oasis for people with food, with pleasure, with community. But the oasis of the city had also become a way to become anxious, become preoccupied, become ways to grow ambitious and feed the ego. Those who desired to be in union with God and be transformed by the love of the Spirit, drew away from those places into solitude and silence. And they were the desert fathers and mothers. And what would happen is people from the cities would go out to meet them and they would seek their counsel. And in these places of the desert began the first of the monastic communities where people would go out first as hermits and live in solitude, and then small communities would form that became what later formed into monastic communities, communities set apart to pray for Christians in the cities and other places in the world, but also were community among themselves. And this was a direct response to the flourishing Christianity of the large urban centers. In other places in the world, such as the Celtic Christians in the far west of Europe, Christianity didn't have the same sort of monastic manifestation that it did in this part of the world, in Egypt and Syria. Moore says, how do we find inner freedom? Notice that whenever we suffer pain, the mind is always quick to identify with the negative aspects of things and replay them over and over again, wounding us deeply. Almost all humans have obsessive compulsive disorder of the mind, which is why so many people become fearful, hate-filled, and wrapped around their negative commentaries. This pattern must be recognized early and definitively. Peace of mind is actually an oxymoron. When you're in your mind, you're hardly ever at peace. And when you're at peace, you're hardly ever in your mind. The early Abbas and Amas, the mothers and fathers 
of the early church that went to the desert first insisted on finding inner rest and quiet necessary to tame the obsessive mind. Their method was first called the prayer of quiet. Eventually, this was referred to as contemplation. It is the core teaching in the early church period and emphasized much more in the Eastern church rather than the Western church. Later, he goes on to say, by solitude, the desert mystics didn't mean mere privacy or protected space. Although there was a need for that too. The desert mystics saw solitude, in Henri Nouwen's words, as a, quote, place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born, the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs, unquote. Solitude is a courageous encounter with our naked, most raw, and real self in the presence of pure love. Quite often, this happens right in the midst of human relationships and busy lives. I'm going to speak to that for a second. Solitude, says Rohr, is a courageous encounter with our naked, most raw, and real self in the presence of pure love. Now, this is something that can be incredibly daunting because in solitude where you are revealed to yourself as you are and if you understand God to be loving but all-knowing, this can be quite a smack of reality. But God as pure love is also a purgative love that has a fire that purges away all of the dross, all of the impurities that is not needed within you that holds you back, is a refining fire of love as well. And we are naked and raw in solitude if we understand solitude for what it really is. So there's something in a way to be frightened about the wildness of pure love in the love of God but also something to be incredibly comforted by and have incredible solace for as well. If we see God for what God really is, which is of course mystery, ineffable mystery that I can't begin to define for if I begin to define God, I've already created an idol. But let's say in this solitude, we turn our hearts toward this ineffable mystery, all-consuming love, the source of everything, and all-consuming in the sense that all that is not love within us is put out by the holy fire of God and the Holy Spirit. And who do we think God is? What idols should be done away with by fire within us? Who would God be if God was all good? holy, and pure love, who would God be? Who would God be if God was all-embracing of us and purely loving of us, always accepting of us because we are, in fact, God's children? And in solitude, if we understand the true, the deep, high, wide, 
unfathomably enormous love of God, as Paul talks about it, we can see that we can be reborn in this place of solitude, understanding maybe even for the first time who we are in God's presence, naked and raw, because God already understands and knows us completely as who we are and is not turning away in disgust and has never turned away in disgust because Christ was made in the beginning. And Moore says, this kind of solitude, this courageous encounter with our naked, raw, and real self can happen in the midst of human relationships and even in our busy lives. So this means we can offer this to others. We can offer presence to others that comes from where we are a vehicle of God's great love. We offer presence and oneness to listen completely, to listen wholly to the other, not in judgment and sometimes not even in encouragement, but as an abiding presence for someone where someone can be their most naked, raw, real self in the presence of pure love with us. God uses humans to show God's love. God uses people with hearts to entangle with other people with hearts to show God's heart. And how do we do this for someone? How do we get there when we feel like our heart is full of pain and woundedness and problems and turmoil. We have to start with our own solitude and our own courageous encounter with God where those things can be burned away by God's holy fire. And especially we have to move away from all that distracts and inhibits us. It is usually the self or the ego that has a lot of its own ideas about what should happen and we start comparing ourselves to other people or where we should be in life right about now or what we desire. All these things we desire are usually things that won't last. Maybe it's how smart or popular we seem to other people, how with it or hip or educated or accomplished. All those things are things that pass away and what's left at the end is our character, which can be aligned with that of God so that people just see Jesus in us, the cosmic Christ, if you will, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Or that can be tainted by what is not of God. In solitude, what we desire is revealed when we desire less than holy things, less than godly things, vain things, useless things, things that will perish. Say we desire financial stability, financial independence, and there's nothing wrong with those desires in context, in proportion to what we need. But when our desire is really inflamed for those things, it overshadows our character and our alignment with God. And those things will burn away. And God will see to that they burn away. What things should we desire? The things that will never pass away. The eternal things which are to offer kindness and to receive kindness. The loving kindness that God has for us. 
Rohr says, especially when outward distractions disappear, we find that the greatest distraction from reality and from divine union is our own busy mind and selfish heart. God wants to free us from our busy mind and selfish heart. And when we turn to God and look full in the face of the love of God, our selfish heart and our busy mind are revealed. Our mind is calmed and our selfish heart is swallowed up in the love of God. Anthony the Great lived from January 12th 251 to January 17, 356. He's a Christian monk from Egypt. He said, The one who abides in solitude and is quiet is delivered from fighting three battles, those of hearing, speech, and sight. Then this one will have but one battle to fight, the battle of the heart. And to explain that a bit, Anthony is telling us that hearing speech and sight can get us into trouble. It will help us to avoid solitude and quiet. And there are battles that we fight. We see something and we want it. We hear something and we become jealous. We speak something and we become egotistical egocentric. Suppose that all goes away because of solitude. We can quiet those things. But then we are left to fight the battle of the heart. As we turn our heart toward God and we become swallowed up in the love of God, there's a battle that goes on, a battle of wills. And in that battle, just as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, with his anxious thoughts and with submitting his will to God, we do the same kind of prayer, the same kind of back and forth battle of the heart where we come to a point where we have to decide my will or your will. Do I consent or do I resist? C.S. Lewis talks about hell as being a choice, the hell of self and it truly is, where we say, your will be done, God, or we get the choice of hell where God says, your will be done. This goes beyond the particulars to the specifics of a certain day. Each day of the week, we can say, your will be done, God, or we can fight it and God will say, your will be done. And then we are left to our own devices. We are left to our crazy, obsessive mind. We are left to our troubled heart that is selfish and caught up in misery. Many of us live in some sort of oasis where we have our needs met. We have enough food. We have warmth. We can please our desires and we can have ambitions that we pursue and sometimes we can succeed in those ambitions. Because of that, we have to search for deserts in the oasis. 
we have to search for solitude and silence and stillness because our heart grows so selfish and our mind grows so obsessed and troubled and repeats itself. Solitude is the only answer for a troubled mind, a troubled, ambitious, ego-filled mind that is never satisfied unless it rests on God. A troubled mind that becomes stilled in the solitude, God, the presence of pure love, becomes calm and still because there is nothing else that can truly satisfy but pure love. It is a resting place, it is a place to abide where everything is met, all your needs are met, and it is an embrace of God. It doesn't mean you can really stay there forever, no one is perfect, and you can bounce around back to your regular life, but if you seek out the desert places again within the oasis, you can get back to the abiding presence of pure love. And this is the contemplative way. There are many streams of Christianity and religious tradition that are a lot about doing things and accomplishing things and knowing things, knowing doctrine or knowing what good things to do. But at the root of all of those streams is abiding with God consenting to the will of pure love. The kind of pure love that doesn't see oneself first, but puts the other one first and decides that love is the way. But love can never be the way when the heart is selfish and the mind is disrupted with anxious and busy thoughts because we're tormented by those things. So we consent. We consent to the presence of God. We consent to the loving kindness. And we do it again and again. And we find our desert places within the oasis. Or we withdraw from the oasis into the desert places. And we find fellow pilgrims to journey with who know that we need the desert. And we can be there together, alone together, in the presence of God. I appreciate you listening to this. Some of this might be unfamiliar to you, as it was to me for many years. But I hope you will journey with me further into the contemplative way, into the way of love. If you have questions, feel free to email me. I'm at contact at sparkmymuse.com. And if you support my work at patreon.com, forward slash spark my muse. I have written a new book about silence called The Verve of Silence. It's about the power and the dynamism that can be had through solitude and silence. May you go in peace and find the desert places as your heart needs them. <laughs>